elements of Pentecost is that on the second day of the feast, people would go to the temple and they would pray for those who had passed. They would pray for the dead. And I don't really know what all that meant, but I know that they took us. I know that the Jewish folks take a certain day during that feast to remember those who went ahead of them. And I thought, man, what a great illustration or a great insight to the Lord's table. I mean, we, we come to remember what Jesus did for us. We remember his death and we remember his burial. And of course, we remember his, his uh, resurrection. There's an old boy out of Schaefer, Minnesota. His name is John Holgram. He has a semi-tractor trailer. And uh, out of his own money, he had some artists paint the name of every soul that was lost on 9-11. So there's over 300 names, uh, 3,000 3, names on there. And he's been from coast to coast. The guy's a truck driver. And like he said he's even been pulled over by police just so police officers could get a picture, you know, in front of the trailer. Uh, and what a, what a great way because, you know, unless you have lost a loved one on 9-11, you know, typically most of us, we don't remember 9-11 until that date rolls around but for those of you but for those who lost you know parents or kids or grandparents or whatever friends or loved ones it's not so hard for them to remember 9-11 but for those of us who we were just kind of here it's a little bit more difficult uh, remembering I think has two parts to it I think there's active remembrance and I think there's passive remembrance uh, active remembrance is what John's doing with his truck uh, it's it's keeping it out there before everybody, letting everybody remember that this is what happened on 9-11. Uh, but for others, that's active. But for others, you know, if you just get your picture in front of the trailer, that's definitely passive remembrance. When we come to the Lord's table today, we're, we're called to be participants in active remembrance. We're supposed to come to the table, and when we leave here, we kind of carry the name of Jesus on us so people can see who we are and who changed us and who sustains us and who saved us, who's our Savior and our Lord. They should be able to read the name of Jesus on our life. Uh, there's three things that we really need to remember today about uh, the Lord's Supper. Number one, we need to remember the source. Number two, the setting. And number three, the Son, the S-O-N. Uh, let's talk real quick about the source of the Lord's Supper. It wasn't the disciples that gave us the Lord's Supper. It wasn't something that's been passed down within our Christian family. Um, but the Bible says that this is what Jesus revealed to us. Jesus is the source of the Lord's Supper. It's not an ancient church tradition, but it was something that was given to us by the Son of God. So that's the source. That's where it has come from. Number two, we need to look at the setting of the Lord's Supper. It's on this backdrop of the Lord's Supper that we see the betrayal of Jesus, the denial of Jesus. We see him being beaten. We see him being rejected. We see his legal trials. We see all that stuff. We see him carrying the cross out to Calvary. That's the setting of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper took place the night before all that stuff went down. The Lord's Supper took place uh, before all that happened. So it's a backdrop of ugliness. I mean, it's a backdrop of, of heinous, horrific violence. And the third thing I want you to see is the Son, Jesus. Um, as we look at the setting at the source, we're reminded that it's the Son of God who gave himself as a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin, for all of our iniquity. Uh, it's the Son of God who broke the bread. It was the Son of God who passed the cup of wine. It was the Son of God who, uh, who gave his life to take away our sin, who gave his life to take away our iniquity, who gave his life so we could be saved. Uh, 
So when we look at the when we look at that, I, I want us to go straight into where we're going to be today as far as the message, because we're going to look at the purpose of the supper and we're going to look at the preparation. Here's the purpose of the supper. First Corinthians eleven twenty eight. If you have your copy of God's Word, or if you've got a Bible app and you want to open it up, praise God. If not, the words are up on the screen. But we do encourage you to bring your copy of God's Word or a Bible app. First Corinthians eleven twenty eight. That is why you should. What's the next word? This is why you're supposed to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. The Lord's table keeps the ancient favor that Jesus did for us freshly in our minds. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. We are supernaturally reminded about the goodness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus when we come to the Lord's table. We, we come to the Lord's table and we're reminded of how awesome God is, but we also are reminded of you know, kind of how messed up we are. How big of sinners we are, how big of hypocrites that we are, how flawed we are, how broken we are, how, how desperate need of deliverance we're in. We see the holiness of Jesus and then it's, we, we, we see who we are and what we've done. And when you go to the first Lord's Supper where Jesus was, was passing out the bread and the cup, man, that's exactly what organically happened with the disciples. Jesus said, man, one of you guys is going to betray me tonight. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Matthew. The disciples started saying, dude, is it, is it me? Am I going to be that one? And so really what happened was, even before we found out that we're supposed to examine ourselves before the Lord's Supper, what were the disciples doing in the upper room when they had the first Lord's Supper? They were examining themselves. Is it me? Have I dropped the ball? Am I going to be the one that turns you in? Am I going to be the one that's going to turn you over to the authorities? So as we come to the Lord's table, we're, we're personally called, and this is a purpose, we're per, we are purposely called to examine ourselves, to see how our heart is, what condition our hearts are in. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine, your faith, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Question, is it my job to judge you? Is it your job to judge me? No. Who, you, who are you in charge of examining? Yourself. I'm in charge of examining myself. As we come to the Lord's table, man, this is between you and God. It's not between you and me. We can do it together. It brings us together in unity. But it's between you and the Father. Uh, so today, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Galatians 6.4 each person should judge his or her own actions. And that's not my job. That's, that's the onus of all of us. It's our job. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is for us to examine ourselves, to see the condition of our heart. You know, if you go to a doctor or a PA, they give you a checkup. They give you a physical. They see what kind of health you're in. What's going on with you physically? Is there anything that could be going wrong on the horizon? Or things that we need to be looking at? What's, what's going on? When we come to the Lord's table, there is a supernatural spiritual examination that the Holy Spirit will give us. He'll show us the areas of our hearts that need to be, that need to be brought underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What areas of our life need to be dealt with. What could go wrong. What area of temptation we're dealing with. Um, the spiritual exam you experience at the Lord's table exposes what we need to be aware of as our hearts examined by Him. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. God, examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my nervous thoughts. 
See if there's any bad thing in me and lead me to the road of everlasting life. Y'all, when we come to the Lord's table, that's sort of like our verse. God, show me in my life where I'm messing up. Show me in my life where I need more of you. Show me in my life where I need to exemplify your holiness or show your kindness and your grace. What relationship in my life do I really need to be more like you? The self-reflection of yourself. The examination of yourself. He doesn't tell us to do that so we'll feel bad. He doesn't do that so you know we'll think, oh, I'm a horrible person. He doesn't do that so we'll have low self-esteem. The reason why he calls us to the, the table for the purpose of examining our heart is just so that we can see what areas of our life need to be brought under the authority of Jesus. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's not meant to make you feel like trash. It's not made to feel, make us feel like we're less than enough. It just means this is something that we need to be bringing into the lordship of Jesus in our lives. So we, we look at the purpose. And let's just assume the purpose is not only to memorialize Christ, but to examine our hearts. Let's look at the preparation of the meal. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. So, anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup in the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before. Church, say before. This is why you should examine yourself before today, before eating, and bre- uh, eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak. It's why many of you are sick. And this is why some of you have died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we'll not be condemned along with the rest of the world. Um, it's so cool to see all the flags in town. And it's just amazing. I can't wait for those uh, scouts to go out and put those up. It, it, makes, it helps me get into that spirit. It helps me remember why we're here. Now, have you ever seen a video of somebody burning the flag? Or tearing it up? Or walking on it? Or doing unspeakable things to it? Uh, and we know that, that that type of speech is is protected under the, the First Amendment. We get that. But for the rest of us who know better, we consider that an offense to our nation. We consider that an offense to our country. We consider that uh, an offense to every soldier who dropped one drop of blood for that flag. It offends us. Because we know what that flag stands for. I think in very similar ways, I think when we take the Lord's Supper in a way that's unworthy. I wonder if God sees that the way you and I would see somebody tearing apart the flag. Because the meal represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're being told there to don't do this in an an unworthy manner. Because when we do the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, what we're doing is we're treating Jesus in an unworthy manner worthy manner to disgrace and dishonor the Lord's Supper is to disgrace and dishonor the Lord. That's the unworthy manner. What does unworthily eating the bread and the cup look like? How do we know if we're guilty of that? Because we don't want any of that bad mojo. We don't want any of that bad mojo uh, on us if, if we're doing it. So this is what it looks like if you're worried about, well, am I guilty of that? Here's a couple of examples. If you ignore or you downplay the importance of the Lord's Supper, 
That's an unworthy thing. If you have a flippant attitude, what the heck? All right. Flippant attitude, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper in a flippant with a flippant attitude or not taking the Lord's Supper seriously, that's in an unworthy manner. I've been in services before where I've seen little kids take the thing and it looks like they're in gun smoke at, at the saloon. <laughs> you know, uh, that's really not that's that's not if you see a kid do that and then if you see an adult do that, that's kind of the things that we're talking about because we're not taking it seriously at that point. Another way is and I, I know that some of us have different backgrounds. This Lord's Supper, this is, a, this is a way to take it in an unworthy manner. If you think this Lord's Supper is a part of your salvation, that's an unworthy manner. Because, you see, Christians partake of the Lord's Supper. Partaking of the Lord's Supper does not make you a Christian. You can, you can die and still go to heaven as long as you have Jesus, and maybe you've never had communion in your entire life. So if you think that this is part of your salvation, that's, that's flawed. Maybe you have a lack of love for God, or maybe you have a lack of love for God's people, and you take the Lord's Supper. That, my friend, is in an unworthy manner. The Lord's Supper is to bring us together as a church. It is to bring unity in the body by remembering what King Jesus has done for sinners like us. Church, this is not the place for egos. This is not the place for big, bold personalities. This is not the place for power plays. This is the church of God that is filled with sinners who are saved by grace. You and I are no better than anybody else in this room. We're no worse than anybody else in this room. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't worry that maybe you've fallen shorter than somebody else has. The truth is we've all fallen short. The supper reminds us that we all come limping to the table. Ain't one of us come running. We all come with bruises and scars and limps. Y'all, this ordinance of the Lord's Supper puts us before the mirror of God's holiness, puts us before the mirror of God's glory, and we see how far we've fallen, and we see how fractured we are, and we see how inconsistent we are. Y'all, don't avoid looking at that mirror today. You know how you look at the mirror and you kind of, oh, I'm, I'm, I look pretty good for my age, you know, that type of thing. Y'all, when we come to the Lord's table, don't ignore the bags underneath the eyes of your heart. Don't ignore the sin stain on the collar of your soul. This is where we apply the detergent. This is where we apply the bleach. This is where we apply the blood. And we say, Lord, I've got this sin stain on my collar. Or I've got these bags underneath the eyes of my heart. God, what do we need to do to take care of this? God, what do we do to be restored? What do we need to do, church? Don't avoid the danger of, of looking at yourself in the mirror of God's grace and goodness. 
do it before you take the Lord's Supper because you don't want to do it in an unrepentant way. You don't want to do it in an irreverent way. Y'all look at the news, and it's amazing to me how much stuff gets thrown into the rivers and streams and, and pollutes the environment. How many tons of nuclear waste have been put into the ground? One of the greatest threats in modern times, actually, is toxic waste that's been put in our soil. How many times have you seen the Camp Lejeune commercial, okay? Uh, that's one of these things. It's, there's, there's tons of this waste out there that, that just it, it disrupts the water supply, it disrupts and, uh, the land. Over the last 70 years, there's been tons of deadly pollutants and, and compounds that have leaked into our soil, to our water system, into our atmosphere. Barrels of this toxic waste are buried in the landfills. Man, it's a talk, it is a ticking echo t uh, eco time bomb. Something's going to happen. Church, as, as, a, as a race, as a species, we're not only really good at creating high levels of physical toxins that are bad for our physical body. I'm really good at creating spiritual toxins that are detrimental to my heart, that are detrimental to my soul, that are, that are detrimental to my spirit. With every sin, with every iniquity, with, with all of these things, church, the reason the dumping of toxic chemicals into our environment is because it's deadly to the physical body. The reason why we're concerned about things that are in the environment is because it affects us physically. We may not be able to see it right now, but it, it leaches out and it, and it contaminates. In our heart, in our soul, in our minds, our sin contaminates our lives. And it will continue to contaminate until it's cleaned up. Until somebody takes it away. Until somebody comes in it makes the whole thing new. Church, the answer to our poisoned and contaminated conditions in our soul is the gospel of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and praise God, he's coming back. We need somebody to take away those contaminants. Look what the Bible says in John 1, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who... Y'all, Jesus has come to remove all that toxicity in our life. He comes to remove our sin. His blood cleans up the sin leak, takes the contamination that has wrecked our lives. Calvary made forever clear that our sins have been dealt with by Christ on our behalf. Do you know him today? If I could ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Today, if you've not given your heart to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe there's still sin in your life that's not been dealt with. Maybe you've never come to Christ to ask for forgiveness or to claim Him as Lord, profess Him as Lord. You don't have to leave here today assuming you're going to heaven or hoping you go to heaven. You can, you can know for sure where you stand with God. In fact, the Bible says, for these things have been written so that you may know you have eternal life. Today, if you'd like to just come before Him and empty yourself, giving Him your sin, asking for forgiveness professing him as Lord, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. This is that examination part that we're talking about. Christian, maybe you're here and the Holy Spirit said, okay, this is the area of your life that needs to be brought underneath the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe you have some confessing and repenting to do. Then by all means, take this opportunity to do so. I encourage you to pray with me this morning, either out loud in your, or in your heart. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory.
Jesus, I know that you're the Son of God. You died on the cross. They buried you in a tomb. And you rose again. And you're coming back. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Have me as your child. Because I profess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me for cleansing me and making me your child. I know that you died for me. And by the power of your spirit, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. If you have your communion cup, it's, it's all self-contained. There's a cracker on one end and there's juice on the other end. This morning, I want to, as we come to the table, we, we know that we should be looking for the source and the setting and the sun, and we've already went through the time of examination, and I, I hope that you and the Holy Spirit have had a good talk. And as we come together to take the Lord's Supper, I invite you to open up the bread first. The bread represents the body of Jesus. It represents and reminds us of the price he paid on Calvary. It reminds us of the beating that he took. It reminds us of the nails in his hands, the, the piercing in his brow by the crown of thorns. It reminds us of the spear thrust into his side. It reminds us of the betrayal, the rejection, and the garden. It reminds us of all those things that Jesus went through, not because he had to, but because he loves you. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Almighty God, we thank you for the beautiful body of your son, Jesus, that was hung on Calvary in our place, that was hung on Calvary on our cross, so that we could experience healing and redemption and forgiveness and wholeness. And we thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name. Paul continues, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, the reason why Jesus' body was so important is because in the Old Testament, when you brought a lamb to the temple for sacrifice, it had to be perfect, blemishless, they called it. Well, that was Jesus. He was the blemishless, perfect, stainless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible also tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Blood is the currency of heaven. I don't know why, it just is. Blood is the currency of heaven because it's the blood that washes away the sin. It's the blood that gives us power. It's the blood that makes a difference. The life is in the blood. So, y'all, I invite you to carefully open up the top of your, your cup. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, Almighty God, thank you for your, your blood. Jesus, thank you for your blood that takes away our sin. Thank you for your blood that gives us power and eternal life. Thank you for your blood that removes the sin stain on our collar, that takes the 
uh, bags from underneath the eyes of our heart that removes all of it, Father, making us white as snow. And Father, when you see us through the blood of Jesus, you see Jesus. And we give you glory. We give you thanks for the power that's found in the blood. Paul says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Y'all, when you leave this place today, let the name of Jesus be on your tractor trailer truck. Let the name of Jesus be seen in your life, heard in your voice, told in your stories. Let the name of Jesus be with you actively because we have celebrated one of the most beautiful ordinances in the church this morning. Y'all, I'm going to lead you in a word of closing prayer. And then what I would like to do is I'd like for you to gather your things quietly and we're going to, di- we're going to dismiss and we're going to sing that great anthem of the church while we're leaving of amazing grace. So uh, we're going to keep this, the, help us maintain the reverence of this service as you leave. Don't, uh, don't congregate and talk. This is a special service. Usually we encourage hospitality and fellowship, but this is a unique service. Let's treat it uniquely. Lord God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace, your goodness. If we've come to the Lord's table, knowing that uh, we, we come limping, we come broken only to find healing and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that this meal would make a difference, not just in this hour that we've been together, but the hours after this service, the days after this service, we would remind, we would be reminded of how good and gracious you are. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And amen.